share with you some words from Dustin Crow in a book he wrote. I have it on the screen in front of you called The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks. That's a great title, by the way, isn't it? The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks. I'm only a little bit uh, in on that book and, and plan on finishing it, but I want to tell you what he said here. And listen to what he wrote. He said, people are cranky today. People are cranky today. Turn on the TV or scan social media and you'll encounter a choir of voices fighting, disputing, criticizing, and complaining. It seems like people look for something to be negative about. Cynicism and pessimism abound. Jealousy and entitlement, entitlement tempt us daily. These sins have always existed, but it feels like they permeate life today. People are cranky today. They're negative today. They're grumpy today. His words convicted me because I read them on a day when I really needed them. I was having a particularly cranky day. I was filled more with grumbling than I was with gratitude, because everywhere I turned, it seems that there was bad news upon bad news upon bad news upon bad news. And when that happens, we have a choice. We have a choice on those days when it seems that everything goes wrong. We can grumble, we can mumble, and we can complain. Or we can turn to the Lord in gratefulness because He is always worthy of our praise. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said it so eloquently. He said, if you search the world around among all choice spices, you shall scarcely meet with the frankincense of gratitude. It ought to be as common as the dewdrops that hang up on the hedges in the morning, but alas, the world is dry of thankfulness to God. And I think he's absolutely correct. But why is that? Why is it that the world is more grumbling than grateful? Why are they so ticked off rather than being thankful? What is it about that's going on? Well, you know, the Bible says that in the end times, 
One of the things that are going to, is going to happen is people are not going to be thankful. They're going to be ungrateful. In fact, you can jot this reference down. I'll just read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Wow. I really believe that we are living in the last days, and one of the things about living in the last days is people are ungrateful. They're unthankful. Now, we expect that from lost people. We expect that from people who don't know God, don't love God, and and really don't think about God or consider God very much except in a curse word. But what about those who are saved? What about the majority of us, I think, in this room who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Why is it that we are not more thankful? Why is that? I got to thinking about that in preparation for today, and I came up with at least four reasons why I believe that we're unthankful, or at least not as thankful as we ought to be at times. And by the way, if you are as thankful as you ought to be, you can kind of tune out right now. This is for those of us who maybe struggle in these areas. But, but four reasons why I think that we struggle and why we are unthankful. First of all, because of our busyness. We are simply busy people, and we forget to pause and to stop and to thank God. I mean, we got things to do and people to see and projects to complete and, and work around the house and, and school and all these things. And we're very, very busy people. And it seems that the, the longer we live, the busier we get. And the more that they invent these little gadgets to help us with our lives and help us with our time, it takes up more of our time and we get busier and busier and busier. And so busyness is one reason why I think that we're so unthankful. But there's a second reason, that is because of our blessings. And I know that sounds really weird, uh, but we're so blessed, we've become accustomed to being blessed and we take it for granted. We just take it for granted. Wearsby quoted Emerson who said, if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. They're only coming out one night, we're all going to stay up and behold them. But he says, we have seen the stars so often, we don't bother to look at them anymore. We've grown accustomed to our blessings. I mean, we're blessed and we're used to being blessed and we seem to be blessed all the time and so we just take it for granted. We don't stop and say, you know what? I need to thank the one who has blessed me. But there's a third reason I think we struggle and this is for believers, by the way. And that is because of our burdens. Because of our burdens. Um, We have a lot of problems. I dare say everybody sitting listening to me right now could give me at least one problem that you're dealing with. Uh, some of you could give me a, probably a list of ten, and, and some of you could probably spend the rest of the afternoon. And by the way, I'm not asking for those problems. I'm just saying if I were to do that, we have problems, we have issues, we have troubles. And maybe we kind of think in the midst of all that, and maybe you're in a very particularly difficult season right now, maybe you think, I don't really have a whole lot to be thankful for. And, and what we do at that time is we focus more on our burdens than we do our blessings. And perhaps this is especially true as as we're living in days where our lives have been turned upside down. And and I feel somewhat encouraged. I mean, I don't know about you, but 
But as I go about and I go about life, it seems that things are getting a, a little bit more like they used to be in some regards, and, and things aren't quite as weird sometimes. And so we struggled, especially through this season of our life, through 2020 and 2021 and, and all the things we're going on. But our burdens can cause us to focus on them rather than on our blessings and thanksgiving. But there's a fourth reason why I think we are not as thankful as we could be, and that's because of our bitterness. Our bitterness. Maybe things have not turned out the way you thought they would in your life, and, and we have not gotten what we expected or what we wanted or what we were striving for, and maybe we've had some dreams that have failed, and we have um, had some things happen in our lives, and, and, and maybe we, we, really not, we don't even realize it, but bitterness has entered into our hearts. And it sprung up in our hearts. And we look back upon our losses and upon the way people treated us and the way people have betrayed us or the way people have deserted us and, and, and then all the, the dreams and all these things that we were holding on to and hoping for and it just didn't turn out the way we thought. And bitterness can spring up in our hearts. And I'll be honest with you, it's very hard to be bitter and to be grateful at the same time. And so I don't know about you, I don't know where you might fall on that list and, and maybe... Maybe you are a good Thanksgiving giving person. In other words, you, you bless the Lord regularly or perhaps you struggle. Perhaps you struggle like I do in the midst of busyness and the abundance of blessings and the burdens of life and even battling the bitterness of life. Listen, my goal today is not to lay a guilt trip on anybody. I needed this message more than anybody in this room this morning. I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I want to help myself as we go through this passage. Thankfulness to God not only blesses the Lord, it also blesses us. Now, that's not the primary reason we should thank Him, but it is one of the, uh, the fruit of, fruits of that. It, it's not that we're being selfish or self-serving, but in praising and thanking the Lord, we get blessed too. Let me quote one more time from that author I introduced you to, Dustin Crow, with that grumbler's guide to gratitude. He says, not only is it right to give thanks, but it's good to do so. Psalm 92.1. Why is it good? It's good because it glorifies God and it bolsters our faith. It confesses that everything we have ultimately comes from God. It's good because it chooses joy over discontentment. We trust God in His wisdom and kindness for what He gives and allows. And it's good because giving thanks opens a door. Listen to greater intimacy with God. Let me summarize that. So that was a lot to take in. Well, thankfulness glorifies God, but it also builds up our faith. Thankfulness brings joy in our lives, and thankfulness is a door to greater intimacy with God. God commands us in His Word to be thankful. God desires for us to be thankful. Jesus expects us to be thankful. In fact, I want to go to a story today from Jesus' life I'd like you to find it in Luke chapter 17. And I want to say to you that Jesus expects us to be thankful. Why? Well, we, we know that um, as we're going to read the story here today, we're going to see that. But, but God understands that thankfulness changes us. Thankfulness is good for us. It, it glorifies Him, but it also blesses us and changes us and helps us. And in this story, and by the way, you know, some stories from Jesus' life, it appears in more than one of the Gospels. So you might read about a story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you might read about a story that's in Mark, Luke, and John or whatever. This story is only in the Gospel of Luke. 
So it only appears this one time in the Scripture. Luke chapter 17. What's happening is Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and He's passing along the border of Samaria and Galilee and something happens that is very important and very instructive to us today. I think you know the story if you've been in church for any amount of time. But let's reread it today as we look at this Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that is Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you see them in your mind's eye? These broken, ragged-looking men standing afar off. Jesus, have mercy on us. Desperate. Verse 14 says, So when he saw them, He said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And verse 19 says, And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I've entitled today's message a lesson from a leper. Now, let me just tell you, the lesson is a very simple lesson. It's a pretty obvious lesson. I mean, you don't have to dig in the original languages even here to get this lesson. The lesson is simply that we need to be thankful. I mean, that's the lesson here. But there's so much in this story, we need to dig a little bit deeper. And I want to walk through the story with you. And I want to learn some lessons with you as we go through. But the overall arching lesson is simply to be thankful. But let me point out some things about this story. Notice there's a desperate cry for help. There's a desperate cry for help. As he journeys along, Jesus is met with ten men who are lepers. And they're standing afar off, these ten men. And he said, why are they standing afar off? Why aren't they coming up? Well, because they were not allowed to come near other people. You want to jot this reference down. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. And you better listen because I know when you're reading your Bible through in a year, when you get to this part, you kind of doze off and you kind of like, "Mm -hmm." Leviticus. But listen to what it says. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, here's what's interesting. These guys were not dwelling alone. They were dwelling with other lepers. Why? Because misery loves company. And they had this thing in common. They were lepers, all ten of them. And the interesting thing was, it was not ten Jews or even ten Samaritans. It seems it was a mix of nine Jews and one Samaritan. 
And by the way, that was highly unusual. Why? Because the Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with one another. We talked about that some the other week. Now really, this poor Samaritan leper, there with these nine Jewish lepers, if you will, we're assuming that's the ratio. That's an assumption. He had three strikes against him. Think about it. Three strikes. Usually when you have three strikes, what happens? You're out. Here are the three strikes. First of all, he was a Samaritan. He was outside the covenant of promise. He was not a part of Israel. He was not a part of any of that. He was a Samaritan. Secondly, he was a leper. We'll talk more about what that means in a moment. And then thirdly, he was lost. He didn't know Jesus as Savior. Don't know if he even heard about much about Jesus. I mean, obviously, he had heard something about him as he's crying out there. But three strikes. Three strikes. Let me talk to you about the leper part for a moment. I think you understand the Samaritan part and the lost part. What about being a leper? Just how bad was it to be a leper? John MacArthur, let me read, he helps us. He talks about here that, like its Old Testament counterpart, leprous there in the Old Testament, was a general term for all kinds of skin diseases. The most severe of those was Hansen's disease, which is leprosy as it is known today. When you think about lepers, and by the way, I understand there are still lepers this day. Leprosy attacks the skin, the peripheral nerves, especially near the wrists, the elbows, and the knees, and the mucous membrane. Now listen, it forms lesions on the skin and can disfigure the face. How? By, by collapsing the nose and causing the skin to fold. Some people call it the lion's disease due to the resulting lion-like appearance of the face. Contrary, listen to this, contrary to popular belief, leopard does not eat away the flesh. Due to the loss of feeling, especially in the hands and the feet, people with this disease, they actually wear away their extremities without even knowing it. Think about that. They don't feel it, they just wear away their extremities. The horrible disfigurement caused by leprosy made it greatly feared and caused lepers to be outcast, cut off from all healthy society for protection. So if you get that in your mind, this is the particular one that these lepers had. Imagine what they looked like as this disease attacked and ravaged their bodies. And they literally got to the point where they wore away parts of their body and they're there standing together just crying out, Lord, have mercy on us. But it's even worse, really. He says, according to the physical sufferings, or excuse me, adding to the physical suffering of those afflicted with leprosy was the attendant social stigma. Not only were lepers cut off from family and friends and banned from the rest of society, their condition was also considered to be divine judgment on their sin. As in the case with Gehazi in 2 Kings 5 and Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. This was consistent with the traditional Jewish belief that suffering was God's punishment for your sin. So I want you just to see how bad things were for these guys. Now this one in particular even had an extra strike because he was a Samaritan. The others may have been Jews. But anyway, the rest of people say, look, they're outcasts. God is judging them. They're getting what they deserve. They're away from family, away from friends, banned from society. Their bodies being ravaged. And they're desperate. It's a desperate cry for help. He summed it up so well. He said that their disease was incurable. 
Their situation hopeless. Their lives miserable. Jesus was their only chance for deliverance. And so it was not, I don't think it was for one moment just to, hey Jesus! Jesus, have mercy on us! Have mercy! A desperate cry for deliverance. They were hopeless without Jesus. Hopeless. And I love this. Verse 14, we have a compassionate Savior who delivers. You know, when you read the story of Jesus, you look at His life, He healed people in different ways. He could speak healing. I mean, didn't He make spit mud and put it on one guy's eyes? And all kinds of ways He, he could choose. He could touch people. But it's interesting here with these, He simply spoke a word. You know, they're afar off. He, he doesn't even go over there. He just speaks some words, but the words are very interesting. He tells them to do what? To go and show themselves to the priest. And what's that all about? Why not just say you're healed or you're good or whatever or come let me touch you. No, go show yourself. We're back in Leviticus again. One of the reasons we probably shouldn't skip it during Bible reading, right? Leviticus 14 this time, verses 2 and 3. Leviticus 14, 2 and 3. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him and indeed if the leprosy is healed in the leopard. In other words, the priest was the one who examined the person and says, yes, you are healed from leprosy. You're allowed now to enter back into society. And so he says to these lepers that are far off, go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. And it's pretty interesting. It says that they obeyed and as they went, they were cleansed. Now, how cool would it have been to watch that take place? Wouldn't you love to watch that take place? We don't know at what point of disfigurement and what part of the disease they were at. But, I mean, here they are. Their, their bodies being ravaged with leprosy. And as they go, I don't know how long it took either. I mean, imagine you're traveling along. You're one of this group and you're going along. You look over and your friend's face is coming back to normal. And, and hands are maybe growing. I mean, it's just amazing as they go, they're cleansed. They're healed. And they have visible signs. They're looking at it. It's amazing. I mean, they're no longer infected with this disease. How awesome it would have been to watch that. To experience that. But there's a third thing here. As you read the story, there is a grateful leper who worships. Verses 15 and 16 and verse 19. One of these ten, he does something the other nine do not do. In fact, I kind of numbered it out. He does five things in this passage when you look at those verses. He does five things in this part of the story. First of all, it says he saw he was healed. I mean, no doubt about it. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I'm healed. He saw he was healed. Number two, it says he returned. He, he, he was going with the others, but he, he returned. He went the other way back to Jesus. Thirdly, it says that he glorified God with a loud voice. As I was studying for this, it said that leprosy could, could attack the vocal cords and, and it can impact the speech and the ability to talk and so forth. It may have been the case that this, this man, he uh, hadn't been able to speak above a rasp or a whisper, but it says he glorified God with a loud voice. Number four, it says he fell down at the feet of Jesus. He fell down at Jesus' feet. And number five, it says he thanked Jesus. No, he worshipped Jesus. He worshipped at his feet. And then it says, number five, he thanked Jesus. Simply put, this dear man took the time to worship 
with thanksgiving to be thankful, to say thank you. One writer said instead of going to the priest, the Samaritan became a priest and he built his altar at the feet of Jesus. And he was rewarded. Not only was he healed physically, which is awesome, but he was also healed spiritually. If you look at verse 19, it says, And he, that is Jesus, said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Where it says there made you well, literally in the original language says your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. This man had three strikes against him. He was a Samaritan. He was a leper and he was lost, but then he met Jesus. And Jesus totally, radically transformed his life. And let me say this to you, friend. Maybe you feel like you've got three strikes against you. Maybe you think you're out. I want you to know today you can meet Jesus. And he will radically transform your life. The Bible says all of us at one point in our life were lost. Everybody's lost. That means that we're without God. We're without hope. We're without joy. We're without peace. We're separated from God because he's holy and we're not. But God loves us so much, He wasn't going to leave us in that condition. He says, no, I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to send my Son, the Lord Jesus, to become a a man among men. And He came, the God-man, perfect God, perfect man joined together. And He lived a sinless, perfect life. We see His life here now as we're reading it here. We see what He was doing. He, He never sinned. Of course, we know that He ends up, as you keep studying, He ends up, Going because he's going to the cross. It's at the cross where he took our sin upon himself. We sang about it a moment ago. Thank you for the cross. Because it's at the cross where he bore our sin and shed his precious blood. He was buried and third day rose again. The Bible says if we'll turn from our sin, that is repent and place our faith in Christ, we'll be saved. And friend, today, if you've never done that, I would invite you today to give your life to Jesus Christ. You can have hope. You can have joy. You say, you don't know how bad I am. You know what I've done. He does, but he's, he's paid for your sin if you'll come to him. He can radically transform your life. As we go through this story, I, I wrestle with how to word this last point. But I came up with this. We have a disappointed master. In verses 17 and 18. Remember back in verse 13, the ten lepers, when they were calling out to Jesus, they called him Master. Master. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That that word Master literally means Chief Commander. That is, you are in charge. You're the Chief Commander. And here we have the Master, the Chief Commander, the Lord Jesus, is disappointed. He asks three questions here. Whenever Jesus asks a question in the Scriptures, we ought to pay attention. Whenever Jesus speaks in the Scriptures, we ought to pay attention. But when He asks a question, we really ought to consider it. Do you notice the three questions He asks in verses 17 and 18? Notice them with me. The first question was this. Were there not ten cleansed? Well, the obvious answer is yes, there was. But then the next question becomes very convicting when He says the very next question, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? 
mean, there's one at his feet worshiping and thanking him. And he says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And then he asks a third question. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, that is, this Samaritan? This one outside of the covenant, this one outside of Israel. And I'll be honest with you, beloved, as I study this passage, that second question kept haunting me. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? I mean, I blessed ten, I healed ten. Where are the nine? Only this one is to me. He was grateful for the one. He, he healed the one. He, he even saved the one. The one was recorded. But, 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 but Jesus says, where are the nine? You see, all ten of them prayed. But only one of them came back to praise. All ten of them, Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. All ten of them were healed. But only one came back to the Master to praise Him. Jesus was looking, where are the nine? But they never came. Hebrews 13 and 15 through, uh, Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16 says, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The continual fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Where are the nine? I wonder how many times Jesus has had a similar question about us. I wonder if he's ever said, where's Rodney? I haven't heard from him lately. He hasn't come lately to thank me. When's the last time he heard from you? When's the last time? We're quick to grumble. We're quick to mumble. We're quick to complain. We're even quick at times to question God and God, how could you? And God, would you? And how could you? And But how many times do we come back and say, thank you? Ken Hughes told about a man by the name of Alexander White. Alexander White was one of the most eminent Scottish preachers of the 19th century. As he was visiting one day, he visited an elderly parishioner. And uh, this elderly uh, parishioner, um, all she did was complain. She complained at length about everything and everyone. You know anybody like that? Don't look around. Don't look around. You know anybody like that? Don't look around. They might be looking at you. All she did was complain about everybody and everything. Now, I want you to picture Alexander White is there and he's sitting there and he's listening to this lady complain, 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 complain. And finally, with his hat in his hand, he, he arose to bid her goodbye. I can tell you uh, from a pastoral position that uh, those are good partings sometimes. But anyway, uh, he rose to bid her goodbye and he only left her with one comment. He only said one thing to her as he left. And it was a phrase from Psalm 103, verse 2. Psalm 103, verse 2. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, And mind you, forget not all His benefits. Forget not all His benefits. Thanklessness is rampant in our time. Grumbling trumps gratitude every single day. We need to learn a very important lesson from a Samaritan leper who lived so long ago, and the lesson is simply be 
thankful. Be thankful. We want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Now let me say this while we're doing this exercise of gratefulness. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you want to talk to somebody about that. While we're doing this exercise of worship and gratefulness, you can come talk to Pastor Larry or myself. We'd love to talk with you about placing your faith in Christ. But I asked you a moment ago to make sure, the beginning of the service, to make sure you have one of those tags. Um, many of you have done this for several years with us, and some may be here today the first day you've said, I don't know what we're doing. Well, you may have noticed the tree, and by the way, we appreciate the beautiful tree that was put up this past week of those who did that. This is our Thanksgiving tree. What we want to do is take a few minutes and allow you time to express gratitude to the Lord by writing out whatever you'd like to write out on that little tag. There's two sides. You write as much or as little as you want. We want to give you time, though, to count your blessings and time to express your blessings. And what we'd ask you to do, and I'm going to pray before we have the music and we start this, is, is we want you to, to take the time to, to count your blessings and write them out and, and get that right. And when you're ready, whenever you're ready, we'd like you to come and hang that tag on the Thanksgiving tree. And it'll be up for the rest of this week. It'll also be up next Sunday. It's just a reminder as we come in and as we look at that beautiful tree of just how blessed we really are. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. But let me give you instructions one more time. You take the time. Write out your blessings, whatever you want to write. This is between you and the Lord. You're writing to the Lord. When you're ready, when you're done, you come and find a spot and hang it on the tree. I'd ask you, if you would, to, to kind of respect those around you and not be a lot of talking and a lot of things like that, but just just quietly worshiping the Lord. And if you get done quickly, you can go back and pray and, and praise the Lord some more. And again, if you need to be saved while we're doing this, you find me or Pastor Larry or some other believer here today, we would love to talk with you more about the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to pray and then you can have time uh, to, to help us decorate the Thanksgiving tree, all right? Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your presence today. Thank you for the lesson from this leper. You blessed us so much. Forgive us when we don't bless your name. Help us now as we worship to be focused on you. We love you and we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.